BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Oh, hello. I'm very sorry. I know you're not here for me, but I just wanted to tell you about my new podcast. It's called Classical Fix, and it's basically me, Clemmy Burton-Hill, each week talking to a massive music fan. I mix them a classical playlist. They have a listen, they come in, and we just see where the conversation goes. If you'd like to give classical music a go, but you haven't got a clue where to start, this is where you start. Just go to BBC Sounds and search for Classical Fix to subscribe. Now then, as you were. Mozart's clarinet quintet is the kind of favourite classical work that attracts all kinds of adjectives. Heavenly, autumnal, luxuriant, radiant, even romantic. But should we really be thinking of it in those terms? And of all the many available recordings of this evergreen piece of Mozart chamber music, which are the ones we should be considering for our classical library? I'm Andrew McGregor, presenter of BBC Radio 3's Record Review. And in this podcast edition of Building a Library, Richard Wigmore compares recordings of Mozart's clarinet quintet, which was originally written with the extended range of the Bassett clarinet in mind and the sound of a particular player, Mozart's friend Anton Stadler. But regardless of which kind of instrument you choose, there are so many different approaches in recordings dating back as far as the 1930s. And Richard Wigmore's found himself asking what kind of sound world, atmosphere and associations are appropriate for this much-loved piece of Mozart. This, for instance... Someone once wrote that Mozart's clarinet quintet is music to float you to heaven. And if you fancy a trip, you'll certainly float very agreeably with a velvet-toned Gervais de Pire and the Amadeus Quartet. Over the years, the two late clarinet works Mozart wrote for his friend Anton Stadler have acquired autumnal, even valedictory, associations. It can't, though, be stressed enough that Mozart wasn't contemplating his own mortality, either in the quintet, composed in September 1789, or in the concerto of two years later. Stadler's own playing was admired for its singing beauty. Never could I have thought that the clarinet was capable of imitating the human voice as it was by you, wrote one admiring critic. Yet he was also renowned for his brilliance and zest. And, as we'll hear, he specialised in a clarinet's deep, oily chalumeau register, savoured by Mozart in both concerto and quintet. Take from the earliest recording today made by... Yeah, OK. Vocal eloquence of tone and phrasing are crucial for any clarinetist tackling the quintet. If they don't know their late Mozart operas, they shouldn't bother. Take, for instance, the earliest recording today made by Benny Goodman and the Budapest String Quartet back in 1938. Far from playing the music with a jazzer's freedom, the King of Swing locks himself in a straitjacket, rigid, sometimes scrambled, and uneven in tone quality.
the furthest extreme from Goodman's perfunctory briskness is another American clarinetist, Richard Stoltzman, with the Tokyo Quartet. This is a performance con amore, leisurely, luxuriant, with a romantic flexibility. If you think of the quintet's sound world as late summer shading into autumn, this could be the answer. Richard Stoltzman and the Tokyo Quartet, sweet, silken-toned and gently romanticised. Well, Anton Stadler may have been a good friend of Mozart, but he seems to have been even more financially chaotic than the composer, who more than once lent him money. He claimed to have lost the autograph scores of both the quintet and the concerto when his portmanteau was stolen, though Constanza Mozart was later told that Stadler pawned the portmanteau for much-needed ready cash. The autographs are certainly lost without trace. Mozart originally wrote both works for the so-called Bassett clarinet, a Stadler speciality that extended lower than a normal clarinet down to the C below middle C. This unwieldy instrument soon became obsolete, and when the quintet and concerto were published a decade after Mozart's death, they were adapted for a normal A clarinet. Most recordings follow the published edition. A handful, including Thea King with a Gabrielli quartet, use a putative reconstruction of Mozart's original that exploits the Bassett clarinet's full range, complete with add-on low notes. You can hear these in the exuberantly plunging scale near the start of this extract. Listen, too, to King's subtly varied tone and phrasing when the clarinet recasts the sinuous second theme in the minor key over gently throbbing syncopations a moment of reflective melancholy that only enhances the surrounding radiance. Thea King and the Gabrielli, playing that combines minute sensitivity with a natural feeling for the music's ebb and flow. And I like the graceful touches of portamento, discreet slides between notes, from leader Kenneth Silito. Like many of you, I suspect, I first got to know the quintet in the recording by Jack Brimer and the Allegri Quartet. 
This quickly became something of a classic. But to my 2019 ears, its luster has faded. Like Gervais de Pire and the Berlin clarinetist Karl Leister, Brimer has a liquid tone and spins a beautiful, seamless line. But that's half the problem. It all sounds unruffled to a fault, devoid of the inner vitality of Thea King's performance, though the plodding, wirily recorded strings must take some of the blame. Compare Jack Brimer's unperturbed smoothness with Martin Frust and the Vertavo Quartet. Frust's tone is naturally brighter and more penetrating, and he varies colour and dynamics so much more than Brimer. Some may find his dreamy lingering in the second theme excessive, but there's always a questing imagination at work here. Then, as you'll hear, he finally gauges the gradual crescendo at the end of the theme, culminating in an excited flurry of notes. Martin Frost, impulsive, a touch wayward perhaps, but conveying a spontaneous-sounding delight in this music. In the central development, Mozart indulges in some role-swapping. The clarinet at last gets to sing the main theme. Then the strings, led by the first violin, hijack the clarinet's rising arpeggios from the movement's opening and launch a combative sequence of imitations. Mozart ups the tension further when the clarinet rejoins the fray and stretches the arpeggio patterns across its whole range. At the fastest tempo of any recording, Emma Johnson, playing a basset clarinet, and the Contempo Quartet are agitated with a vengeance. Indeed, no other version so resoundingly strips the whole movement of any autumnal tint. Exciting or frenetic, you judge. Thank you. 
Emma Johnson and the Contempo going for broke in the development. Johnson isn't afraid of a raw, rasping tone, and I'm not complaining. It's vivid in its way, but to my ears, too much of a scramble, threatening to go off the rails at any moment. Johnson's hyperactive performance is a world away from her earlier recording, which has some lovely, affectionate playing, but just feels too slow. For fire combined with poise, let's say Edward Brunner and the Young Hagen Quartet. Brunner's tone is tangy rather than rich, but his fingering is nimble, his phrasing invariably sensitive. Unlike Johnson and the Coltempo, the players here ease gently into the development. Then, with a slight surge in tempo, Lucas Hagen's violin storms upwards from its throaty G-string. Clarinetist Eduard Brunner and the Hagen Quartet. Not the most poetic performance, perhaps, but one that's always alive, with an urge to press forward rather than linger. Another non-autumnal take on the quintet comes from Jörg Widmann and the Arcanto Quartet, who cultivate a lean, period-style sonority. This is a performance of expressive extremes, provocative but often thrilling, not least in the drama of the first movement development with its scything accents. I love, too, the way the players gently flex the pulse into the recapitulation and Wittmann's tender phrasing of the main theme. Jörg Widmann and the Arcanto Quartet in a performance teeming with colour and character. Choosing a faster basic tempo than Widmann, Sabine Meyer with the Hagen Quartet gives a tense, restless performance recorded live at the Lockenhaus Festival. Her sweet, sour tone with its smoky lower register can have a biting edge and with constant dynamic inflections in the phrasing, serenity is precarious. When the second theme moves from major to minor in the recapitulation, Mozart radically recasts it across the clarinet's entire range, leaving only the faintest outline of the original, a miraculous transformation. Meyer and the Hagen give the music an underlying agitation, with the strings stressing their accompanying syncopations. Thank you. 
Sabine Meyer and the Hagen Quartet. There's something raw and immediate about this live recording, though for me its nerviness shortchanges the lyrical serenity that's surely a crucial aspect of this movement. Contrasts Meyer with Romain Guillaume playing a basset clarinet. Partnered by string soloists from the Chamber Orchestra of Europe, Guillaume gives a performance of great expressive flexibility, balancing a strong forward motion with free use of rubato. He takes both first movement repeats and always finds new colours and phrasings second time round. Here he is in the second theme, freely varying his dynamics and articulation, and adding discrete ornamentation. He gives himself space to dream here above the strings' murmuring syncopations. He and the strings then beautifully shape the yearning climax Mozart builds from a little cadential phrase. Romain Guillaume in the closing stages of the first movement, given an added savour by the basset clarinet's dark chocolate low notes. In the opening Allegro, the musical democrat in Mozart treats the clarinet as first among equals, now as a concertante soloist, now in close dialogue with the strings. In the slow movement, it becomes an idealised operatic heroine, floating its song above gently rocking muted strings. Like so much of Mozart's chamber music, this is opera by other means, and it rivals the slow movement of the clarinet concerto as a desert island favourite. But whereas the concerto movement is an adagio, the quintets is marked larghetto, implying an easily flowing three in a bar, which is not what we get from many players, including Michael Collins and the Nash Ensemble. Collins, like Jack Brimer and Gervais de Pire, spins a rapt, seamless line. But at this drawn-out tempo, the music suggests six rather than three beats to the bar. Let's contrast Michael Collins with Julian Bliss. He chooses a far more mobile tempo, and tenderly cushioned by the Carducci Quartet, he phrases with simple eloquence, shading his tone in response to the flux of the harmony.
clarinet doubling as a soprano and deep contralto, courtesy of Julian Bliss with the ever-sensitive Carducci Quartet. We'll drop the pitch now and sample one of the three available versions of the quintet to use period instruments, from Erich Herprich playing a basset clarinet with members of the orchestra of the 18th century. Herprich's tone is woody rather than sensuous, and with close attention to Mozart's articulation markings, he makes the music speak as well as sing. Like Romain Guillot, he also adds modest, tasteful embellishments, as a good singer would in Mozart's day. After the opening aria, you'll hear how the music flowers into a love duet between clarinet and first violin. Erich Herprich, always a thoughtful, interesting player, though the Dutch period strings, especially the rather fragile first violin, are a bit lacking in character. There's a more equal partnership in the love duet on another period recording from Wolfgang Meyer and the Mosaic Quartet. Meyer's basset clarinet has more rounded warmth than Herprich's, and he's rivaled in eloquence by Erich Herbart's violin. Wolfgang Meyer and Erich Herbart, lyrically intense as duetting lovers, above Christoph Quin's strongly drawn cello line. Meyer and the mosaic are a touch matter-of-fact in the first movement, but if you want a performance on period instruments, this should more than satisfy. Moving back up to modern pitch, Thea King gives another tenderly sung performance, at a broader, though not inert, tempo. We'll pick her and the Gabriellis up at the reprise of the main theme, where she conjures an unearthly pianissimo. The phrasing is fluid and delicately inflected, growing naturally to the apex of the phrase.
Thea King, magically hushed inward playing, and a model of Mozartian phrasing. At a more flowing tempo, Romain Guillot, lulled by the COE players, is typically freer with rhythm and more extreme with dynamics, occasionally to the edge of audibility. Guillot is another player to make the instrument speak as well as sing, and his gentle ornamentation even adds a touch of friskiness to the music. Romain Guillaume, expressively embellishing Mozart's cantabile lines and relishing the deep chalumeau register of his basset clarinet. If you've got it, flaunt it. In the earliest of the three period versions, Alan Hacker takes a far more radical approach to ornamentation. The decorations seem pretty well spot on, implied by the curve of the melodic line and comparable examples in other Mozart works. But Hacker is hamstrung by the funereal tempo, the slowest on disc, and by the wheezy playing of the Salomon Quartet, sawing at each chord where they should float. Alan Hacker and the Salomon Quartet, impossibly sluggish in tempo, yet those embellishments always feel right to me. The whole performance poses the same question as in Mozart's piano concertos. Are we nowadays too reverential with Mozart's cantabile melodies, especially on repeats? Whereas Mozart's other chamber works for wind and strings typically have three movements, the clarinet quintet proclaims its elevated status by adding a minuet, as in a string quartet. There's no tempo marking here, but I wonder if Mozart envisaged something quite as sober as we get from Anthony Pei and the ultra-vibrant strings of the Academy of St Martin in the Fields.
Anthony Pay's playing is attractively mellow, but his performance as a whole is too smooth and laid back for my taste. Unlike Martin Frost and the Vertavo Quartet, who bring to the minuet a light springing touch and a hint of a smile. We'll pick them up just before the first of the two trios for strings alone. Major here becomes minor with fretful little phrases for first violin against contrasting rhythmic patterns that undermine the jaunty certainty of the dance. These cross rhythms can often sound muddy, not in this performance, which combines delicate shading with ideal clarity. Conviviality darkened to anxious questioning there in the first of the minuet's two trios, and the Vertavo Quartet's gentle flexibility and sensitive balancing are another reminder that the strings are as crucial as the clarinet to the success of any performance. After taking a well-earned rest in this A minor episode, the clarinet leads the show in the second trio, a blithe yodelling Lendler that soon develops into a clarinet-violin duet. This music is about as rustic as the normally urbane Mozart gets. And in a version we haven't yet sampled, David Schifrin and the Emerson Quartet give it a buoyant lilt with a nicely pointed umpa accompaniment. Too many performances just chug here. A few bars into this extract, after the violin chips in, you'll hear the clarinet gurgling upwards from the depths. It's yet another moment that gains from the bassoon-like low notes of the basic clarinet. David Schifrin in the Emersons, balancing rustic cheer and Mozartian elegance. In the first movement, I thought the Emersons, with their vibrato-rich tone, inclined to over-project. But for rounded beauty and refined artistry, few clarinetists rival Schifrin. And if your preference is for a sensuous, slightly romanticised sound world, his recording is the one to go for. On a conventional clarinet, Jörg Widmann, true to form, is freer than anyone with pulse and dynamics in this trio. Less smooth than Schifrin, he plays slow and loose with the rhythm and tears almost manically into the clarinet's upward flourishes. Though, as you'll hear, on a conventional clarinet, he has to follow the familiar pattern of the first edition, beginning with a downward triplet.
Hugh Vidman and the Arcanto. Some will doubtless find this mannered, straining for effect. Call me a pushover, but I couldn't help chuckling here. Despite passing irritations, Vidman's restlessly inventive performance of Mozart's clarinet quintet is high on my shortlist, as is the less obviously provocative version by Martin Frust, always fresh and spontaneous-sounding, with Frust beautifully seconded by the Vertavo Quartet. But, and you saw it coming, my final library choice has to be a performance that takes advantage of the delicious low notes available on the Bassett clarinet. These are most crucial, I think, in the finale. Mozart here wrote a folksy tune, definitely made in Austria, followed by five variations that gave plenty of scope to Stadler's virtuosity. In the first variation, the clarinet cavorts above and below the theme in the strings, with improbable leaps between registers. It sounds like a parody of a singer with attitude, and it becomes that much more grotesque on the Bassett clarinet. Here's Julian Bliss with the Carducci's. Julian Bliss in the clownish antics of the first variation of the finale. A twinkle in the eye here, plus nicely varied dynamics on the repeats. Romain Guillaume not only varies his dynamics, but adds jokey touches of embellishment that I fancy would have got the thumbs up from Mozart. The tempo is a notch brisker than Julian Bliss's, and the spirit that much more antic. <laughs> Roman Guillaume enjoying himself in the finale. This is a performance to remind us that Anton Stadler shared, or at least suffered, Mozart's zany sense of humour. He may have been a peerless clarinetist, but this didn't stop the composer nicknaming him Nocibinichiki, something like stupid nincompoop. Thea King tends to give the quintet a more reflective cast than Bliss and Guillaume. Variation 3 in A minor moves so far from the perky theme that it sounds like a free meditation. It's haunted by an obsessive wailing figure for the viola, Mozart's own preferred instrument in chamber music. Soft clarinet arpeggios add a mysterious gloss to the texture, enhanced by the basset clarinet's extra low notes. These things are highly subjective, of course, but for me, no performance catches the elegiac poetry of this variation as movingly as King and the Gabrielli, led by Ian Jewell's plangent viola. Thank <laughs> you. 
Thea King and the Gabrielles, tenderly poetic in the mournful plaint of Variation 3, then relishing the quick-fire clarinet violin repartee in the fourth variation. And how much fruitier those gurgling arpeggios sound with the Bassett clarinet's extra low notes. King's recording has long been on my shelves, and it's a surefire recommendation for anyone who loves the clarinet quintet. A classic indeed. Yet agonisingly confined to a single library version, I'd have to plump for the French clarinetist Romain Guillaume. With a flavoursome range of colours, Guillaume balances poetic and witty detail with a stronger sense of the music's larger shapes. And his string colleagues from the COE match him all the way in sensitivity and insight. In the first two movements, Guillaume sings as eloquently as anyone. In the minuet and finale, he seizes every Mozartian opportunity for playfulness, whether dialoguing with himself or impishly embellishing repeats. This performance moved and fascinated me, but more than any other, it made me smile, and that surely counts for something. I think I did see the Bassett clarinet coming in the final analysis. Reviewer Richard Wigmore is completely right. Once you've heard the sound of those low notes on the extended instrument, as Mozart intended them, you miss them when they're not there. So Mr Wigmore's overall building a library recommendation for the Mozart clarinet quintet is French clarinetist Romain Guillot, with string players from the Chamber Orchestra of Europe well-matched and delivering the impish playfulness, sensitivity and insight Richard was looking for. And any Mozart recording that makes him smile is, I think, worth its weight in gold. You'll find their recording on the Mirare label. Full details are on the Record Review website along with some of Richard's other favourites. You've been listening to a podcast edition of Building a Library from BBC Sounds. Next time, Tom Service explores recordings of a major romantic concerto, Brahms's Piano Concerto No. 2. You can listen live if you join me, Andrew McGregor, for Record Review, Saturday mornings from 9 on BBC Radio 3, on FM Online and on BBC Sounds, where, of course, you can discover more music, radio and podcasts like this one. This is a download from the BBC. For more information and for terms of use, go to bbc.co.uk slash radio 3.